How can I make money in the music business? Why copyright? Should I make a CD anymore? Trying to break into the music and entertainment biz? Wondering how the business works? Wondering how guys like Elton John and MC Hammer go bankrupt? Why am I not making any cash? Tune in to WP Brave New Radio every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Hang with the university's music business faculty hosts, me, Steve Marconi. And me, Dave Phil. Plus, we'll have industry guests and students from the music management program. How do I get gigs down at the shore? Call in with your questions and hear the latest in industry happenings. How do I get my music on iTunes? How do I get on a tour? It's Music Biz 101 and more every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on WP Brave New Radio. Your secretary's got our checks, right? Mine's direct deposit, I think. (laughs) Yes, we are Music Biz 101 and more. The radio show, the podcast. The only radio show and podcast in the United States of America that focuses on the business side of the music and entertainment industry. I am Professor Dave Philp, along with... Welcome back, Steve Marconi. Marconi is back from assignment. That's right. It's great to have you back. Thank you. Did you miss me? It was not the same without you last week. I agree. It was like sleeping alone in a bed fit for five. Let's not get that personal. That will not be brought up again. And I'd like to apologize to you and your family. We are on 88.7 Brave New Radio. And you can always reach us, Music Biz 101 and more. We are, uh, you can tweet us at, at Music Biz 101 WP. We're going to be taking your questions in about 15, 20 minutes. You can call us now if you'd like, 973-720-2738. As always, our producer is Philip Gorohovsky. Is our engineer Connor Morrison today? I haven't even seen Connor. There he is. He's behind us, but Connor Morrison is our engineer. And Dr. Marconi, why don't you start things off? What's going on? Well, we have something very exciting come up in the music department. Next Saturday night, uh, that's the 26th of April at 7.30, note the time, 7.30, not 8, we have our second collage concert. And if I may say what a collage is, it's a concert that usually runs almost um, continuous. I, I think we're doing one small intermission this year, but last time we didn't, where no uh, one act or ensemble or soloist plays more than three to four minutes. So it is really exciting because it moves paces fast and it's a combination of jazz and classical and pop music and you'll hear the men's choir and you'll hear the jazz big band and you'll hear the orchestra and you hear a brass quintet and it's just really uh, a great way to really hear what we do here in music at the uh, at William Patterson. And what was great was last week when you weren't here, we were able to get two people or two groups of people who are going to be performing at Collage. Uh, we're going to have, well, we had uh, the Advanced Pop Music Ensemble performing. They sang mm. two songs and they were great. And uh, the, on the podcast, which you, you can reach if you'd like at musicbiz101wp.com, uh, they sound incredible. And then also we had uh, Dave Dempsey, who is a sax player and also the uh, coordinator of the Jazz Studies Department here at William Patterson University. He started with the National Anthem, mm. and then he played Body and Soul. Great. And, and the sound is great. And uh, so that's just two examples of what's going to be going on at Collage. Yeah, great. And we also have before Collage, three days before Collage, or next Wednesday night, 
we have a special guest, and that is uh, Aaron Van Dyne and Professor Van Dyne, I must say, because he's also part of our adjunct faculty, is the CPA, accountant, the man who handles the money for KISS. Yes, Gene Simmons' money he handles. <laughs> KISS, Three Doors Down, Dave Matthews, John Mayer, uh, a bunch of uh, athletes as well, and... Uh, He'll be uh, here to answer questions all about that side of the uh, industry. So we're looking forward to that. That'll be really great because he'll be able to talk about one thing that uh, in discussions that I've had with him, I co-teach a class with him about entrepreneurship. It's for our master's students. And one point that he always brings up, and this is for those bands out there, those people in bands out there who are listening right now. He always comes, says, uh, as a band, you should have a breakup agreement already in place. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing we're going to talk about because right now it's like a prenuptial agreement. Every band should basically have a prenup. Because right now everybody's happy and in love with each other and we're going to be the biggest band of all time. But six months from now or five years from now, after you have a couple albums behind your back uh, and you have, a, you have a website and you have songs and you have all this stuff and then some Yoko Ono comes in the picture and breaks you oh. all up, uh, <laughs> it, it's much more difficult to break up if you don't have something in place ahead of time. And that's right. Working and with. most bands will start eating themselves at a certain point. In other <laughs> yes. words, they'll pick on... It's the drummer's fault we're not making any money or it's the songwriting or something. But it's always after you've tried the external, normally what happens is you start going in then. Right. Uh, and that's really when you need that agreement. Right. And that, and so he's gonna, he's gonna, that's going to be a tremendous show. So we're very excited. And that will be on... Matt, a, probably just as exciting as tonight. As tonight. And could you take a moment and introduce our student co-host. Sure, we have Nick Wick up here, and Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about first your college experience here at the university? Uh, well, you know you know me pretty well. I'm a five-year student here. I'm a music studies major with a music management minor. Um, it's been a, a good run. You know, I'm a month away from graduating, and I'm really, really excited about it. And, uh, you know, the music program here was excellent. It was good to me. You were good to me, you know, and all of the classes we had together. And you did a, a fairly unique internship, one of your internships. I did you? indeed. I worked at a nonprofit organization called Little Kids Rock. Um, essentially what they do is they bring um, the modern rock band into an urban environment and, um, you know, underprivileged schools, things like that, where they take your average te teacher, math, science, English, whatever it may be, they teach them how to play guitar so that they can then go to their students and teach them to play guitar. So it's a nice, you know, kind of classroom environment still, but it's not necessarily that, you know, heavy-duty um, music education, you know, regular students might Strictly get. Strictly classical, yeah. right. Yeah. And how many schools are they in nationwide, would you estimate? Um, I'm not sure, but I do know that they just hit their 100,000 100, student mark back in... Um, I believe it was last August. Wow. Or maybe a little before that, maybe wow. June or July. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd estimate anywhere between, you know, 250, 300 schools. Yeah, and, and they're in more. San Francisco and Dallas. And yep, they're all across the country. Right. Um, San Francisco, Dallas, um, San Diego, uh, New York, um, mm -hmm. Nashville, you know, all up and down the east and west coast. Yeah, so, so the, it was a good experience. Oh, good. yeah, it was excellent. Um, it was very unique because I got to see a little bit of the uh, – the ed side of music plus the um, um, 
the management side and the business side. Mm -hmm. So it was a mm -hmm. nice little mix of everything I've got to touch on here as a student at uh, Willie P. Great. And besides our student co-host, <laughs> we actually have a guest. And, and why don't you also then introduce our guest? And by the way, for those of you listening, we are on Brave New Radio, WP 88.7. This is Music Biz 101 and more. I'm your host, co-host, Professor David Philpin. Your other extremely uh, perfect co-host, Dr. Steve Marconi, is now going to introduce... Yes. Well, we're very fortunate tonight because we are also bringing to the our listening audience that there is really life after William Patterson University. <laughs> and there can be life in the music business, too. And we have with us Elena Lanza. Do you still use Rossi and then Lanza? Lanza. Okay. And uh, she's had a uh, fairly um, illustrious career in the industry. Why don't you tell us a little bit about leaving William Patterson and then what? Wow. In fact, I was at your graduation... You were. Party. That's right. With you my were. wife and I don't know if my daughter was. She was. Uh, wow. She was one, okay, I think. yes. One or two. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I graduated Willie P and I thought I wanted to do grassroots marketing and I had all these grand ideas of what it was and what I wanted to do all from being a college rep while I was here. And I found when I got out in the world, it was a lot harder to actually just do what you want to do and you have to take a step back and kind of compromise. And I ended up, my first job out of here was for a small little children's record label and they wanted me to sell plush dolls that went along with their music. <laughs> and I was the actual first sales, the first sales assistant for the Ugly Doll Corporation. It's a long story and um, it just wasn't for me. So I ended up leaving and... I took a job for very little money, living in my parents' house at the time, in a guy's basement in Old Bridge, New Jersey, and he happened to be the only classic rock indie promoter left in the States. Wow. Mm -hmm. And um, When is this? What, what year around are we talking? This was 03 or 04, and um, he kind of created this niche for himself, and at the time I said to myself, I don't want to do anything that has to do with radio. I want to do grassroots marketing, and that's it. My dad was in radio growing up, and I just knew that I wanted to steer clear of the whole radio <laughs> side of the music mm -hmm. business. But um, it was a, it was a foot in, and you know he told me flat out, he's like, "If I like you, you're gonna stay here. You'll stay here for one or two years, and um, I'll help you get into a major, and we'll help you figure out what you want to do. And I have all the connections, and you'll figure it out. But you'll learn a lot while you're here. If I don't like you, you'll be gone in sixty days." <laughs> wow. A year and a half later, I wound up at Columbia Records as an assistant to the um, head of the rock department and the head of the AAA department. Mm -hmm. And from there, I worked In myself. promotion. In promotion. Mm -hmm. In promotion. I ended up actually liking it. I ended up finding that calling radio was kind of like my niche, and I liked talking to these people from all over the country and just talking about music all day. And, you know, I knew a lot about radio to begin with, so it just, it, it fit. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I had to kind of take a step back for a minute because I was slowly becoming management over there. And I was I was running his website. I was calling radio stations. And in order to take a step up, you have to take a step up, a step down to take a step up. Mm -hmm. I was making more money, but I was an assistant at Columbia Records as opposed to in management. And mm -hmm. I started answering phones and doing mailings for the head of Alternative and the head of AAA. And from there, I just slowly progressed, you know, got in good with the 
full department, ended up doing a lot, a lot, a lot of promotion operations, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which is all of the fun payola stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, also gotten good with the head of pop and became the, the pop coordinator over at Columbia. Mm-hmm. And from there, I moved on to um, Blue Note and just became the promotion coordinator over at Blue Note. And then there was that fun old EMI merge, which sent me down to Astroworks. Mm-hmm. And then there was another EMI merge that sent me to Capital Music Group, which was Blue Note and Capital and Astroworks. And I was doing some promotion operations and I was doing some promo coordination for the whole department. And I got to this point where I'm in love with dance music and I... We had a David Guetta record coming out, and there was absolutely nobody in-house promoting dance music, and it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Lady Gaga had just come out, and it was exploding all over the place. So I wrote up this proposal and sent it to the head of promotion over at Capitol, and I said, I want to handle your dance department. And he created a little dance department for me, and I ran it along with my other duties, so... I was coordinating the entire promotion department. I was doing promotion operations, and I um, became the head of dance. Mm. So I was the, the department head for dance radio and club promotion. Now, at this point in uh, in the promo departments, both at Columbia and then at Capital EMI, et cetera, et cetera, how many women were doing this? Tons. There were tons yeah, in promotion. There are. Uh-huh. there are. I mean, it takes a special type of woman to do promotion. Right. And I still don't necessarily think that I'm that type of woman, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you will soon find out who you really are, yeah. I guess, when you're in promotion. <laughs> you very, very much learn Yeah, well, are. because it's so fast-paced and it's so um, stress-oriented, uh, you would wonder, you know, it has nothing to do about men or women, but it takes a spur- certain personality, certainly, to do that. And um, I imagine there is some very heated discussions when you're trying to get a record... In Even rotation, statement. Yeah, trying to, you're trying to get a record in rotation, and um, you're up against four or five men, and you're talking to a man promo director, a man music director at a station, uh, really? and um, you know it's a whole different thing when, as we all know, when you're talking to your own sex or you're talking to the opposite sex. It's um yeah you know I mean and heated is is very very much an understatement and twenty four seven job it's very demanding it's you know it, it, I always think of there's that scene in the movie Fame where each department's like this is the hardest department in the school and you could honestly say you know the project managers over a capital will tell you the project management's the hardest right. department there. but promotion is just a little bit of everything you have to do the marketing. To go along with it, you have to deal with the social media aspect, especially now with radio stations getting very heavy into social media. Mm-hmm. And um, it's promotion. You know, it's all it's relationship driven. It's mm-hmm. 24-7. Mm-hmm. There's you eat, sleep and drink radio. Mm-hmm. Could you take us then um, from, from the beginning? Let's let's talk about David Guetta, for example. Um, you're starting an entire department and you have this artist who you think is really has some legs behind him. Walk us through the process of getting him on the radio. Well, you know, we were lucky enough that with an artist like David Guetta, he already had his fan base established. Mm-hmm. David Guetta is one of those things where he came out with this record and it's this culmination of all these artists. So the first track happened to be the song called When Love Takes Over featuring Kelly Rowland. Everybody knows Ke- Kelly Rowland. You have the five major dance stations that were p- reporting to Media Base at the time. That e- Explain that when you say reporting to Media Base and tell us what the stations were just so... 
So my there mom were, knows what's going on if she's listening. Actually, it wasn't media base; it was BDS. But okay. mm-hmm. so the five major radio stations, which are now I think there are seven or eight reporting, they um, they're these stations around the country that play dance music, and they'd report to the special chart for dance music. So BDS, which is the guys over at Nielsen, will conglomerate the data and they'll they'll tell you you know who's playing what what time it played mm-hmm. when it played how many times it played and they come up with the charts that you see in billboard magazine and that's based on only seven radio stations five to At seven the radio time stations it was. now billboard actually has a chart that's called dance radio and mix show airplay so it also combines all the mix show play from around the country so the guys that you hear on z100 playing in the mix show there are two or three of them that will report to that chart as well not exactly sure how much weight is given to the mix show guys versus the actual the physical stations but um they do it a lot differently now but at the time there were only seven stations which is okay granted you know there are like 25 stations on the rock side and you know 40 stations on the hot ac side let's say so seven stations is small but but it's still, you know, a snapshot of what's going on in the country and in the dance radio market. And um, mm-hmm. luckily, with an artist like David Guetta, they all knew who he was already. But he comes to this country. We have to create a marketing plan around it. How are we going to promote it? My job was also to get him club play. With club play, what you have to do is dance radio is unique in the sense that you're not just marketing one record. You're mm-hmm. promoting one record and about 10 remixes for the same record. Mm. every other format it's one it's one mix or maybe it's you know the radio mix and then there'll be the album mix if somebody wants to throw it in here or there but um dance radio you have 10 remixes so for us we had to sit down and we had to figure out we listened to the original song figure out who we want to do the remixes who management and the artists are okay with doing the remixes because when you have these high level artists especially internationally They have their certain people that they want to handle their stuff, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And um, you come up with a plan based on that. Okay, well, X, Y, and Z will cater to this audience. You know, A, B, and C will cater to this audience. So you come up with, like, a whole big series of mixes to create a big package, and you send that off to radio. Mm -hmm. And it's a sales job from there. All right. And and so when you send you send them out, you're physically throw putting it in the mail, for example, or or emailing. Digital distribution. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of these guys don't like in my in my genre in most genres these days they have they have digital delivery systems in my genre personally they still these guys are fans they want to hold on to something so they'll have you send them an mp3 so that they could get it on the air right away but they actually want a physical copy too Mm. which i think is really cool because that's the way i am i totally geek out on that stuff but um so you had to get them um Club play too, you said. How to get club play too? Right. Did you go, go to pool various pools, or how did you do that? Believe it or not, you know, here's the thing. There's so many different types of club play these days. There are the pool guys. Mm-hmm. Then there are your just your regular your regular laptop DJs, which mm-hmm. I feel as much as they get so much flack out there, they're also the biggest and broadest spectrum of what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. Then you also have the Billboard chart. Billboard chart isn't going to come from record pools. There's a Billboard Dance Club Play chart. And what that is, that's about 50 DJs from around the country. And um, they're chosen by Billboard. They have to, I think, play a major club, I want to say, like two, three times a week. 
and mm-hmm. they actually still it's the one chart on Billboard that they still actually have to call in their ads. Oh right? gosh. Yeah. So they're calling Billboard and they're saying, Here are the new songs that I played this weekend at my thing. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And it's based on a numbers rank. You um you rank they rank, you know, heavy, medium, light rotation, however many times they play it, and then they also have to rank their top five. So their top five will get twenty points. You know, their number one record will maybe get 50 points, and then heavy, medium, low will get, like, one through five points. Mm -hmm. So there could be certainly the possibility of payola still existing in that (laughs) side of the chart. Yeah, listen to the radio girl start chuckling. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget, I was also the promotion operations girl at the same time this was going on. So so there are lots of... there are a lot of moving parts to a song. I mean, if you want to get it on the radio, you're talking Absolutely. about the internal politics of selling. It's almost like you have to sell the label and sell. And if you're talking international, you have to get all these people on board to do it. Then you have to get all these people to create the marketing plan and come up with all the tools that you need to then go out to all these other radio stations and DJs and all these other people and yeah. get them to then in turn report it. Mm-hmm. For example, if they're a reporting DJ or whatever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot. You need a lot of... Uh, a lot there are of a lot, a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, it seems mm-hmm. like a long process that's not long at all. Like you have to make it quick, fast, oh, snappy. Oh, there are times it could be very long, but yeah, really, but, I, I you just, know, you're yeah. under the gun for. Yeah, it seems like you know a lot of you know, like your superiors are going to be on you about getting that out as soon as possible, and if you don't, and you know you're gonna have. Yeah, that flack's going to come down. Now add on top of that, working with management and artists and A&R on remixes and budgets, and you're dealing Mm -hmm. with budgets from the promotion side, but not only the promotion side, from the A&R side, and yeah. Sounds like a lot of departments coming down on one little song trying to get out there. So So the the life of a dance single would be about how long that Um, would be getting airplay? Airplay is different than club play. Sure. Club play chart. Mm-hmm. It's only as good as it goes number one one week, one two weeks at most usually. Uh-huh. Just because it has a quick burn, or just there's only there's so many so slots and there's so much competition coming for that. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It seems there's so many remixes out there that I can imagine that yeah. you know you have one song that's remixed ten times, like you said. You know, next week the same uh, you know a different artist is going to have a song that's remixed ten times, which exactly. is going to, and mm-hmm. one of those is going to take over. So it seems like that's always going to be, you know, a lot of switchover and turnover in that area. And, you know, these guys are playing clubs two, three nights a week. They're not playing exactly to the same audience where, as on the radio, they're playing to the same audience. You know, Joe Schmo can call up and say, hey, I really like that song you played. Play it again. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much that's actually radio friendly out there that's so that's mainstream radio friendly in the dance department that mm-hmm. the same records will be on the same chart for months. And describe the difference between who you're reaching out to with the dance department and you just mentioned you're you've got djs then you have specific uh, dance like your friday night dance dj on the radio or the mix clubs versus the pop like let's say it does then cross over to pop then another radio promo person is then doing it with their radio stations correct? yeah well at the time i i reported directly to the head of pop so the head of pop is mm-hmm. the guy who basically runs the show over there and he decides when it crosses over to mainstream radio, where it crosses over to. Is it going to cross over to Just Pop? Is it going to cross over to Hot AC? Then they come up with their own plan. You know, the the date it's sent out, the drop date, the actual ad date that they want to go for. An ad date usually comes two to three weeks after it's sent out. That's the day that they're going for ads. That's the day that they want the most bang for their buck, per se. Mm-hmm. And... Um, then they just take it from there and they, you know, they don't deal with DJs and they don't deal with 
the club guys, they or or even the mix show guys, they deal directly mm-hmm. with the program directors mm-hmm. and the and the music directors and do their thing. All right, I, I, not using uh, someone as famous as David Galletta, but if there was an unknown record, we always talk about how the record has to gain legs mm-hmm. someplace, somewhere in this country before it ever gets into the major markets. So does that happen as well in dance? Absolutely. In fact, you know, I've had this conversation with multiple people because we had an artist at the time that um, everybody wanted to be mirrored after the Lady Gaga plan. Lady Gaga plan is, you know, she didn't just come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Just Dance was, they had sent it out to radio just to get feelers on it, and everybody hated it. So what they did was they took a step back, they decided who her audience should be, based on the type of music that it was based on her image. And, you know, they hired this really great gay and lifestyle marketing company, and they grassroots marketed her for, I want to say, two, three years before this record actually came out. And what they did was they took her around to all these clubs, and they just, you know, they let her get on the microphone with the DJ at night and just start wailing away and, you know, Mm -hmm. do little club appearances here and there when they could actually get them and it grew from there mm-hmm. and then it slowly got noticed and built up to dance radio dance radio took notice you know the dance club chart was already taking notice and um from dance radio the mix show guys caught on mix show is a very interesting aspect these days because mix shows on terrestrial mainstream radio a lot of the times they have to play what the actual station is playing mm-hmm. but you'll have a guy that is doing a mix show on the dance station and a mix show on the pop station at the same time. So what he'll do is he'll take that song and he'll just kind of like fade it in here and there and it would just start to gain momentum and people would say, hey, what was that song that he played in, in between, you know, mm-hmm. Usher and Alicia Keys? Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, hey, you know, it's Lady Gaga. And then it would slowly build from there. And once people start taking notice, it just... Yeah, there's a, um, a book out now by uh, this Harvard professor, Anita... Uh, Elbersay, yeah, and she it's called Blockbusters, and she talks about the difference in what they did for Lady Gaga on the first record and breaking her, and it was mm-hmm. describing exactly what you were saying, then versus what happened when Born This Way and so on, and they took a whole different approach to it, and uh, how Troy Carter was her manager at the time was so um, into taking chances. Uh, and doing it in a in a way that he thought was right to get Lady Gaga to become a household word, uh, and that was totally different than the approach they took with Born This Way. And I might have been one album in between. I can't recall. You know, I read it a couple of weeks ago. So, well, you know, I mean, that's one of the things also that I've always kind of praised Interscope on the way they did certain things. You know, a lot of labels these days are all about you know. Get it out there now. Get it out there now. Get it out there now. We only have so much time. We have a deadline. You know, okay, you can work her and you could restructure her for one to two months, but then it's going to pop radio. Then it's going to dance radio. You know, mm-hmm. get it. Interscope actually took the time and they had her working the, the gay club scene for three years before mm-hmm. before yep. like it actually hit. And because yep. they put in that time and that effort and that money... You know, because Fly Life, the company that um, did it for her, I, I love them to death, but they're not cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. That was the, the, the company that you said was that was uh, part of the gay and lesbian community yeah. that did all the grassroots. They're called yeah, Fly they Life. They're called Fly Life Promotion, and they do all gay and lifestyle marketing for um, mm-hmm. for a lot of the labels. 
right. a lot of artists. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we are actually going to talk quite a bit, I think, about money. We're also going to get to your phone calls and your tweets. You can call us 973-720-2738. This is Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7 FM. Hey, you doing a collage? What's collage? It's a cool concert taking place at the Shea Center for the Performing Arts on April 26th. Where did you come from? I'm everywhere. That's really weird. Yes, but collage isn't. What is it? It's the best of William Patterson's music department, from pop to jazz to classical. It's a non-stop, high-energy concert that will blow you away. When is it? I told you. April 26th. That's a Saturday at 7.30. You can get tickets at the Shea box office now. Like now? Is there a better time than now? Come to Collage on Saturday, April 26th at Willie P. Shea Center. Net proceeds go to the WPU Music Department Scholarship Fund. Free reception and food after the show in the Student Center. Buy your tickets now at WPPresents.org. That's That's WPPresents.org. Or go to the Shea box office and get them while you can. Yes, we are back. Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7. I'm Professor Dave Philp along with Dr. Stephen Marconi of the, yo. William, yo, of the William Patterson University Music Management and Entertainment Department. And uh, you, we're taking your tweets at Music Biz 101 WP. Give us a call. 973-720-2738 and you'll be able to hear this podcast very soon on musicbiz101wp.com Today, we're here with our student co-host, Nick Wakeup Hello, hello And we're here with our awesome guest, Elena uh, I got an awesome You got an awesome and that's my awesome yeah. <laughs> with a very fine co student co-host. I'll take it, I'll yes, take it. But you got a hyphen in between the very and the fine. That's, so. That works for me. But the awesome, I spoke it in caps. You couldn't you see go. it, but it was it was in caps. Uh, if I typed it out, too, you would have thought so. I was yelling. I know. But uh, Elena, in, in, uh, in parentheses, Rossi, then uh, take away the parentheses, Lanza. Yep. So, um, and you, just your dad's name. Just so, uh, shout out to your dad. Who is uh, is he an on air personality right now? As he's we speak, is he on the radio? An on air personality? No, he's doing overnight. So my husband actually turned around to me before he left. He goes, "Are you competing with your dad for airtime?" <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm not. He's actually overnights at New Jersey 101.5. Ray Ding. Rossi. Ray Rossi. Ding. Yeah, New Jersey 101.5. Bang. We'll do traffic coming up in a few minutes. But first, uh, what, do you mind if we take a, a ask a question via tweet? Sure, Doctor Marcone. Time. We would like to ask you, uh, Carrie Keller, who mm-hmm. is getting an MBA in music management. Oh, I'm on the hot seat now. Yes, you're definitely on the hot seat. <laughs> you might want to stand and wiggle. Carrie Keller's question. Elena, what's your biggest tip besides networking for a girl trying to get into the biz? Uh, run as fast as you can in the other direction. <laughs> no, um, one thing, and actually you were really good at teaching this, is how to be persistent without being annoying. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are very, very good and that's at teaching that. Yeah. yeah, and that's not just for women. I mean, that's for everybody, but but especially for women. But persistence without being annoying, you don't want to... Where would you say the line is where you suddenly become annoying? Is it just a gut feel? <laughs> it's a gut feeling, mm-hmm. you know. You, you can tell. But never, ever, ever be afraid. You know, go for what you want. Had I not actually sat in my boss's office and wrote up a proposal and said, I want to head up a dance department here... I'd still be, you know, 
they'd still probably be outsourcing everything. So mm-hmm. trust your gut. Go for what you want. Be persistent about it. Don't be annoying about it. And just do it. All right. I think Good. that's a great answer. Uh, here, here's the question that has to be asked. And you answer as much as you can answer. <laughs> and uh, it's about uh, third party or independent promotion. Yes. Um, we were speaking to actually Marconi and I both. We teach a class um, that's called Survey of the Music and Entertainment Industry. I and in this class, class, we talk <laughs> about radio and we talk about how songs get on the air. And could you explain to the audience what independent promoters are all about, how that works how money flows, why it is technically not payola, and at what point it does become payola, and explain why this is done, who, who benefits, who maybe well, does not. Well, first of all, payola is the secret giving and taking. So as long as anything's not secretive, it's not considered payola. Mm-hmm. That's first of all. But um, independent promotion is, I like to think of it as niche marketing. You know, right now I'm actually working alongside one of my old um, consultants when I was at Capital. I had two kids. I left Capitol Records, and I'm doing some indie promotion for her. What indie promotion is is the labels will hire out certain independent promoters. Promoters, it's like an independent sales guy. Certain independent sales guys will have relationships with certain radio stations, either better radio station, better relationships than the internal massive house has, or niche marketing. So when I said before that I worked for the only classic rock promoter in the states. What happened was record labels are these huge machines and they hire based on the big, you know, genres. So they're going to hire a pop department. They're going to hire a rock department. They're going to hire uh, a hot AC department, an adult contemporary department. They're not necessarily going to hire, you know, somebody to do classic rock because they could be spending their budget elsewhere. What they can do is if they have a classic rock act that needs to be promoted to the classic rock radio stations, they'll hire out on a needed on an as-needed basis. So they're going to hire this guy who deals specifically with classic rock stations. That's his specialty on an as-needed basis. They'll pay him per project, and he has the relationships to go out and then promote or sell the music to those stations, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Now, what about uh, in the pop world? Um, d- 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 is it such um, I'm in Nick Nick wake up yes becomes our uh, creates a tremendous uh, relationship with the program director at Z100 and he'll go to Z now this is the way it's been classically at least written about in terms of how the independent promoters work yeah. and explain what if anything any of this is wrong he'll go to Z100 he'll, he has this great relationship um, with the, the PD there program director mm-hmm. and um, he'll he'll say listen Z100 um, over the next year let's sign a deal I guarantee that I will get you over the next year $100,000 in um, cash that you can use as promotions to give away I'll get you three cars I'll get you vacations blah 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 I'll get you a certain amount of things in exchange I'm your guy um, and you don't need to talk to the radio um, the record labels I will be your liaison between the labels and um, and the radio station. Then the labels now have to go to him. If he gets an ad for the uh, record label, the record labels then pay him. Is that kind of how it works, or it doesn't really work? It like doesn't that? work like that anymore. Okay. Um, record labels don't pay on per ads. Okay, they pay project fees. 
that um, was done away with in this last big payola. The 0506 yeah, payola exactly. that Spitzer got. You're not allowed okay. to pay per ad anymore. They have to write that on all of their invoices. They have to sign a confidentiality agreement every year stating that they're not getting paid on a per ad basis. Who's the they? The, the independent in, promoters. Okay. What they do is they uh, record labels will pay per project, so they'll pay a project fee. What, what's a project? Is that just a another word for? Is like so. Let's take for example a Katy Perry or an Usher. You know, okay, so Joe Schmo has a re- relationship with Z100 or Now, and you are going through him to get the ad at that radio station because, like you said, he goes to the radio station. And he says, you know, I'm your guy. Deal with me. The guy at the the internal pop department does have a relationship with every station mm-hmm. however you know it, it it doesn't hurt to have that extra little backing from joe schmo who is the guy that they who they you know they hear everything from so they'll hire him on a per project basis okay we'll give you a thousand two thousand bucks to work the Katy perry record to z100 to plj to the boston station to the philly station and that's the way they do it now they don't do it per ads I also understand, and this is such a secretive team thing, that there can be a lot of play in this, uh, that uh, various things happen, that some of the promo, independent promo guys, actually will buy time on a radio station. In other words, they'll have X amount of minutes that they paid for. And they tell the radio station that we will, I will supply the music. You, I don't know what it is yet. You don't know what it is yet. But I will supply the music for that time. And they pay a certain commodity, whether it be cash or things like you said. And then they go to the relationship with the label. And, of course, the label pays them and they make more money than they dish they, out. They so they make, out. Yeah, so they mark it out. But they're actually getting actually slots or time from radio stations that they have great relationships with. It actually seems like a really good idea, um, you know, to make sure you're you're guaranteed a spot in which you can play music, you know, the music you choose or the, you know, the record label chooses. You now it's a good way to get your name out there as an independent promoter, it seems like, just to slip yeah. in that time well, block. Something like that's also a very, very gray area. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how kosher that is per se, but right. it's not to say that it doesn't happen. Right, sure. Uh, it's also been told to me that it, to get in a major market, it's still going to cost you, even if you are Katy Perry, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars to get spins. Uh, so that's why we always talk about in class, we we're talking about it today and, and the other day too, that your record, normally if it's a new group, Topeka, Kansas, or Toledo, Ohio, or Des Moines, Iowa, or... Maybe Buffalo, Buffalo, maybe a little too small, but it's got to get legs someplace. Yeah, you don't go and, to New York first. You don't right, and then the time. legs will, you know, somebody will spot it on the tip sheets or the blogs or whatever, and somebody's sitting in, uh, let's say, Boston, which is its primary, secondary, right on the border, will say, gee, you know, I, I've had pretty good luck with that guy in Topeka that's playing. Now he's, I'm going to take a listen to this. And as soon as the majors hear that Boston's interested in it, then that's where they we're going to throw dollars at it because it's got some of its own legs and we got to try to get it over the 
That's uh-huh. a big part of it, especially now because stations do listen to each other's play, look at each other's playlists. Mm-hmm. However, don't forget there's also this big conglomerate now. Yeah, of course. They're all owned by these multimedia companies. Yeah, Glitch, and, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, sure. And when Liberty. Joe Schmo has a relationship with the VP of programming for one of those clusters, mm-hmm. you know, everybody in that cluster is going to get pressure to take a listen yep. to. That yep. was the next question was how – do you have regional breakout hits anymore? Like I always go back to this one example in the 1980s. There was a guy, uh, Donnie Iris, and he had his song called Alia. I will not sing it for you, but it's uh, <laughs> spelled A-L-I-H-A or something. It's on, it's on YouTube. We are not going to play it tonight. But um, that broke out in the Cleveland market. Bob Seeger broke out in the Detroit market. Um, are you seeing that? Is that possible? Because I was just thinking of the, the Clear Channel. Um, is, is, does Clear Channel have one central guy in, in, in New York City or L.A. who's saying, here, top 40 stations, here's 38 songs, you have a little leeway on these two? Or- you know what? I mean, there is they do have a little bit of leeway, and there are going to be those breakout hits from that little bit of leeway, especially if it's a local band, especially if it's, you know, like a song like The Dougie, you know? where it came from a certain market. The dance came from a certain certain market. It's going to peak in that market. Are they going to get pressure? Are they going to get pressure from the higher-ups that are in L.A. and New York? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, you can go these days to Topeka, Kansas, and listen to the Top 40 station, and it'll be like, oh, I'm listening to Z100. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. so it does sound like the playlists are even more constricted yeah. Yeah. than ever. It used also- to be. I'll never forget when I was looking for colleges – When I was looking at colleges, I was going with one of my friends down to check out Towson. And I'll never forget, I had heard a couple songs on the radio, and I was, like, actually marking down what I wanted to, like, go up and and take a listen to and go to the record store and check out because it wasn't up here yet. It hadn't hit New York yet. And you knew when something hit New York, it was going to – there was nowhere to go but down. Mm-hmm. So I right. wanted to be the first to know about it. You know, I was checking out the stuff that they were playing in the Baltimore Top 40 station, right? which isn't even a small market, but it's smaller well, than Well, I, I think also with all this homogenization gave uh, college radio a real chance to break all the uh, co- what we call college radio acts that have been broken through the years. And uh, I remember being here early in, in my career, but being in the 90s and before Rob Quick took over the station, they were just duplicating commercial stations. Yeah, it was a hit station. Yeah, and terrible. I was screaming yeah. at them that this is, you're missing the whole boat and you don't have a uh, concert scene on campus because you can't afford Mariah Carey because you're playing Mariah Carey and the concert scene will be a reflection of what's being played on the radio. And that was a time when, uh, um, you know, all those um, ra- uh, college radio acts were camper beethoven and all of those you know that are still sort of around today but they were just getting their legs through the massive um influence a massive influence that college radio could have sorry i left the room for me. <laughs> <laughs> he was getting very comfortable for yes so yes <laughs> <We just> period <laughs> You want to take another? <laughs> another? Yes, there we go. You want to take another call or another tweet? Yes, uh, we do have an, another tweet. Tell me if you. I, I don't quite understand the question, but maybe you do. It's uh, from from Sue. When a radio station does a parody of a song they normally play. Okay, I get it. When a radio station does a parody of a song that they're normally playing on the air, um, do you know who pays for that? Is that the radio station? 
Okay. No, they're just doing it. They're probably just doing it in their own time for fun. I mean, unless it's an actual physical parody that came out of the song, then they're not paying for it. But okay. if it's something that like you on know, the morning zoo, if yeah. they do a, a parody of, of uh, yeah, they're Dark just doing Horse their own. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just them. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, if you hear that, these are the questions. <laughs> we have a whole sheet load of questions. Are you in the hot seat. Yes. Yes. Um, so, big, big question, I think, because a lot of people listening, especially these days, they're DIY, do-it-yourself artists. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Rod, Rob Quick, who runs WPSC, which we're listening to right now, 88.7 <clears throat> FM on your campus dial. And um, he was talking about how people can get their music on college radio. How can, especially knowing that we have, um, you have the major labels like what you've worked for in which you have we talked about all the different moving parts. Then you have an indie label. Then you also have unsigned artists. Mm-hmm. They all want to be, get on the radio, just like the major label artists. Is it even possible if they have virtually no money? They can't pay an independent promoter. What, what's what's honestly what do they these do? days anything's possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially with you know the, the invention of YouTube and you know social media being what it is. It, it's anything's possible. Is it a lot harder? Absolutely. Are you going to have to probably spend some money? Sure, but. You know, I mean, anything's possible. College radio is a unique beast because the thing about college radio is now all the major labels want to get into the college radio game. So now, whereas 10, 15 years ago, you didn't have to fight them. You could just say, hey, check out my demo. Now you actually have to fight the major labels for that college radio play as well as mainstream radio. But it's not impossible. I mean... It depends on what you're looking for, what kind of radio you're looking for. Pop radio apps of freaking lootly. You know what I mean? What are you going to do? Walk up to the VP of programming at Clear Channel and say, hey, here's my demo? No. But, it, it, you know, you make friends. You give them your stuff. You kind of, like, sneak it in there. And it's possible. Well, Malcolm um, McElmore did. He, they did. They wanted to remain independent. Then they used the Warner Machine. Right. To get their airplay. There's a great uh, article. Uh, the, the manager for Macklemore and Lewis just mm-hmm. gave a, 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 a speech uh, sometime last week, and a blogger was there, and he wrote all about it. And he talked about the three-year plan that they had to uh, break this artist. Uh, not, and it did not include major label. What they did, they used Red, which is mm-hmm. Warner's uh, distribution. independent distribution division. Right. And um, they basically changed the model. Uh, Warner wanted to sign them. They said no, but they said, listen, Warner, we will pay you to uh, use your promo department to get our music on the air. Mm-hmm. And do you know how many people are following suit with that? When I was over at EMI, which is now Universal. Universal. <laughs> yes. But when I was over at EMI, they had started doing this thing with these third-party deals, and I thought it was absolutely genius. And granted, it wasn't just for any independent artist, and they were very selective of who they'd take, but, you know, management would come in with an artist and say, we want to hire out your services. We want to hire out for just your promotion team or just your marketing team or just your social media team. And they would allow you to do that based on a certain plan, based on a certain fee, you know, and you'd have to set put up the budget. You know, I'd put up the budget for the rock department to get these ads and to do their thing. But we'd use their well-oiled machine for just the, for just the radio promotion as opposed to 
everything as opposed to being signed. Well, that totally makes sense for record labels to do because one absolutely one thing that they've absolutely actually to use your your words, but the labels they they want to sign all these 360 deals and they want to basically the labels want to get in the touring business and the merch business and they want to get all in in businesses in which they don't have experience necessarily, <clears throat> but with this model where they're actually licensing out or they're, you know, uh, opening PCL. up yeah, their there are divisions that they have expertise in, be it distribution with Red, for example, with Warner, be it, be it using their promo departments or their marketing departments. Why not? You have those people there. It's it's new revenue streams for Exactly. You. Yeah, but that can also take away from the the labels as well. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing because, you know, down with the labels. But, um, you know, them distributing or letting people use their distributing and, and all that stuff, you know, they would get so much more money if they could sign the artist and continue – to you know, make that revenue from the artist. You know that's a continuous stream. Whereas you get that one time, you know, bang for your buck right off that. You know, the, the artist, and then they're gone. You know, they're off doing their own thing. You know, if they hit it big with your distribution, well, then you kind of missed out. You know, that's a that's an excellent point. Yeah, that's a really so I point. think that's why labels are very picky. And who they do these deals with. But also, don't forget, like, okay, first of all, if it's an older artist, you know, that's for for a certain niche audience, you know, you're not going to necessarily sign that artist. You know, you're going to end up losing more money than you are actually making money. Mm -hmm. But also, if you create these contracts where, okay, you know what, we'll do this for you, but we have the option to pick up your next record... You know, then it's also a way for the record label to test the waters and see what's out there. Yeah, that's a good you know? point. I didn't even think mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But from like a classic rock side, you could see, for example, a band like the Eagles, who can pretty much do most everything on their own. But yeah. they, I could see them going to they have a relationship with with Warner from the past. You know, going to Warner and using them to you to break a single on the radio. Yeah. The purpose being not so much to sell records, but to get the word that the Eagles are out there because the Eagles have a new tour for mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, using um, using their distribution to promote maybe just a single song, maybe even if it's an older song, you know, through that distribution channel, they can get it out on the radio and, and get it out again and, um, you know, promote the tour. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a great point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. We're, we're both thinking of things neither one of us are thinking about. Yeah, see, I'm in student mode right now. I'm, yeah. I'm learning, learning every day. Me too. Let's form a band. See, it's all yeah. about that learning. one word. <laughs> it's all about that one word you taught me in your class. Synergy. Ah, synergy. <laughs> a very late 90s, early 2000s word, but yes. And I still synergy. use it all the time. <laughs> oh, that's great. Because from when I worked at uh, the Universal Music Group, and at that time, um, in 98, Universal bought Polygram. The whole mm-hmm. Universal had, and I learned this when I was there, they had their record division, they had theme parks, they had television, they had publishing, they had one more big thing, and uh, movies. And the whole idea, one thing, the division I was in, we were trying to put together promotions. We would go to Procter & Gamble in Connecticut, and we would uh, get people from all these different divisions of, of universal, big universal, and try and sell them on a full universal promotion with our music and our movies built in with our theme parks. And that was all the synergy. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times it did not work. And if you look at Universal <laughs> now, Universal does not own the, the NBC anymore. Universal does not own the theme parks. Those are all cast off um well they're they're, i mean one of the ways they got so large the big conglomerates was to corner the whole market so you might have um the video from the sound uh single from the soundtrack from the movie done from the book done by a universal artist like i always bring that example there's no coincidence that um celine dion 
did. I won't sing it because it'll be in everybody's ear. But because the Titanic was owned by Sony Down, so they owned all the pieces. And, of course, she was a Sony artist. And you could say the same thing was true, more or less, with uh, Bodyguard and and so on and so forth. Because that's what they tried to do would be to corner, like you're saying, corner all, have all the divisions making money off of um, this one thing, this one project. And it's wonderful when it happens. That synergy is great. But it's, as you said, it doesn't happen as often as it could. And it seems to go in phases, too, because companies do it, and then they break apart, mm-hmm. and then they come back together again in a different industry. It's gone, It's happened in TV. It's happened in music. It's um, mm-hmm. very interesting. Uh, may I ask another question? Sure. Uh, a big overarching question about radio. Uh, radio overall <laughs> has nothing to do with payola, so you're, you're safe. Uh, in class today, I took an informal poll. We about 26, 27 people in the class. And I said, how many listen to over-the-air terrestrial radio <laughs> these days? And about, Two. still the majority, about 13 raised their hand, really? including me. Did I you was, say in the car? Did you uh, tell them? I just said at oh, all, okay. at all. And then we actually broke it down, but just at all. And then the other, then who does not listen at all? 100% you do not listen to terrestrial radio as yeah, Nick raises I, yeah. his hand. No more terrestrial for me. Yeah, it was probably nine or ten kids raised their yeah. hand. And so the question is, and I have a radio background. I used to work with WDHA and WMTR radio. That's how I got this voice. But um, they would still radio. In radio, they're saying radio is healthy and everybody's listening to radio. There's a 90-plus percent penetration, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 91% of millenniums listen, The you know, kids born from 2000 on. Are listening to terrestrial radio. Wow, that's the number that we hear. Yeah. Um, my qu- and, but but with now we have Pandora, we have Spotify, we have YouTube, we have so many ways to listen to music mm-hmm. that when you were a kid, when I was a kid, no when Doc thing. Marconi was a kid, God. we didn't. Ha- it wasn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, he had seventy eights back then, and yeah. uh, or the wax cylinder and the large. That's right. Yeah. Sure. But uh, uh, now there, there's so many more. Uh, so much more competition for radio mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, w- but w- you still re- need radio to make hit songs. Is that still a truth? You still, because Pandora's not really breaking artists, would you say, in general? I don't, I mean, Pandora's not really breaking artists. I don't know that you need terrestrial radio to. I, I, yeah, she makes a complaint. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of um, Gangnam Style, Psy. He mm-hmm. did that purely through YouTube for I the think most radio part. radio is late oh. to the. Yeah, because yeah. I wish we had Steve Leeds here, who works with SiriusXM and still works with us. Because Steve Leeds still says, "Find me a song that didn't break in at least in the U.S. on radio." And I know Gangnam Style actually makes sense. You probably have to go back and see. Yeah, and then the um, whole Harlem Shake thing, but they're yeah. so rare. I mean, they explode. Yeah, but there's so there's so many millions out there that just die. I forget the figure of how many go on every hour. How many uh, uh, videos go up on YouTube every hour? It's it's un, it's an astonishing figure. Oh, there are yeah. numbers like a, the the amount of uh, user created content that will go on like YouTube or something like that every hour is like as much as the the whole universe created, you know, up till two thousand or something. Yeah. It's a <laughs> tremendous amount. No, I know. Well, I mean, crazy stuff. Speaking of YouTube, like look at the Rebecca Blacks that are out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, that record didn't hit Z one hundred until it was already. Yeah. In everybody's head as a major earworm, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody's walking around, it's Friday, Friday, you know, and right. mm-hmm. then, then Z100's like, okay, well, I guess we have to start playing it now. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. yeah. And, and I, I wonder uh, how much, very late. I wonder how much uh, uh, 
hit radio was listening to YouTube and how much they were listening to whatever label was pushing that song as well. Well, that too. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of it's more, I think radio is taking a big example from internet radio right now you know something will get some decent hits on internet radio and then radio will actually take a li- take a listen to it unless it's a Katy perry unless it's an established artist you know mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot a lot a lot to be said for internet radio right now and there's probably a lot to be said for over the air radio and for yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just a very i would call it a very healthy marketplace for for communication and for for music now, because you can get it in so many different places versus the few that we used to have. I mean, listen, you're you're all, there's always going to be a need for a terrestrial radio, but I think there are just a lot of places now you don't have to break on terrestrial radio to break and be an established artist. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, iHeartRadio is making a big push on their numbers, but when you look at the repeat business, people who return to iHeartRadio on a regular basis, it's almost nothing. Yeah, iTunes Radio the same. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's iTunes just a Radio. Lot. Was a yeah. So many other services to and choose beats. From. So yeah, I, beats. I'd, I'd it's also genre that. selective, though. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, because mm-hmm. I, I find like you know the pop genre, the the audience, the pop genre audience is a lot less loyal than say the speci- the genre specific audiences, yeah. the dance yeah. music audience, yeah. the classic rock audience. You know, where you know those guys are going to keep coming back. The, the guy who run, runs Pulse eighty seven online. You know, I mean. He has the exact same listeners, the guy who runs Fusion Radio online. Mm-hmm. They have loyal fan bases and loyal listeners. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's great, <laughs> period, because now we suddenly have to, we do have to wrap this up right now. Alina, real quick, uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with you to talk about radio or anything like that, can they? Absolutely. How can they reach out to you? Um, email's the best. Email? Okay, email. what's your email address? It's elena625 at gmail.com. Okay, and they can also yeah. find you on LinkedIn, right? Absolutely. All right. They can do that. Nick, uh, Nick Haycourt. No, that's a, no. that's the author. Sorry. Yeah. Nick, wake up. Yes, sir. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want you on Twitter? Um, on Twitter, I actually do not have a Twitter, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I know. Don't get mad at me, Dr. Marconi. But um, if you, any questions, uh, you know, any um, comments, anything, uh, wakeupn at gmail.com, W-A-K-U-P-N at gmail. There we go. We are wrapping this episode of Music Biz 101 and more. We are wrapping this up. Check us out on the podcast at musicbiz101wp.com. Uh, next week, we have Dr. Not Professor Aaron Van Dyne for my good friend, Dr. Steve Marconi. Yo. And myself, Professor David Philp, we would like to thank you for listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7 on the FM dial. Adios!